Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1080, air date July 9th, 2022. <laughs> All right, everyone, this is Dr. Shiva Yadurai. Today we have a very interesting story. It's just um, happening immediately. We're going to be talking about Sri uh, Lanka rising up and what's it about. So I uh, typically I schedule these. So uh, we'll just do it. I know, I know. And then we'll copy this on other media. But we have uh, uh, some very, very interesting people. We have someone who was just in the protest. Uh, we have a couple of other people, very um, accomplished people who know the history of Sri Lanka, one of them being a, a fellow uh, who's an alumni from MIT. So we're just going to go right into this. And I just want to introduce people. We have Sivam in Australia. We have PL in uh, the United States. And we have Nithya, who's literally in Sri Lanka, and she was involved in the protest. So she'll give us some quick updates. Um, what I want to do is just give people a quick overview. Where is Sri Lanka for people who don't know geography? But uh, here's India. Sri Lanka is down here. And this is the island of Sri Lanka. And Colombo is the capital, which is right on the uh, west coast right here. And this is where the protests have really been taking place. And, the, and this is pretty historic what's occurred. Quick background. These are some pictures that we've gotten live um, that Sivam has gotten from Nithya and others. So this is physically what's going on in Sri Lanka within the last 24 hours, where working people of Sri Lanka are tired of the nonsense that's been going on for many, many decades. And Everyone will share what's been going on, but this is what's uh, literally happening live in Sri Lanka. And, and these are pictures that are coming to us direct from people down there. Uh, by way of background, back in 1986, um, Simon, Simon and I organized one of the large protests at MIT. That's why I'm saying this has been going on for decades. When the prime minister of Sri Lanka came to visit MIT and one of our close friends, Ram, who was an MIT physicist, was tortured by the Sri Lankan government we held a massive protest at MIT. We chased away the prime minister. We confronted him. Um, and these are some things on there. And there's, there's Ram. Ram will be joining us tomorrow. But um, we ma massively marshaled support. Unfortunately, we were able to get him out. But Sivam, you sent me this picture. Why don't we start with you, Sivam? You want to just explain this picture here? Go ahead. Yeah, so I think what, what happened is uh, Sri Lanka had, um, after the war, had returned to uh, a dynastic rule. Uh, an entire family uh, pretty much ran the government. So it's a bunch of brothers, uh, accountable to nobody, running uh, essentially a, a dictatorship, which is uh, majoritarian, undemocratic, and, um, well, corrupt. So, so, so Sivam, just to give the players here, this guy, Mahinda Rajapakse, the guy with the Hitler mustache up here, right? He, he is the guy who was the, a, after Premadasa, that prime minister we chased away from MIT in 1986, uh, give a little bit of a history of what took place after that. Um, PL, maybe you can run that through? M maybe, right. maybe before we do that, maybe Nithya, because your connection, Nithya, are you there? Nithya is going in and out. But go ahead, PL, give us sort of the background. And um, Nithya is there, but she's literally in Sri Lanka at the protest. Go ahead, Sri Lanka. Uh, go ahead, PL. So the thing you is. You want to look at the camera, PL? Yeah, yeah sure. So uh, the, the Sri Lankan situation is, is very interesting. So, I mean, despite having a civil war, the people always were able to exercise their vote. So. They voted in governments and they voted out governments. And uh, that has been going on for some time while the, the civil war was, you know, happening. And in a sense, you know, electoral democracy has been exercised by, this, by the, the people of Sri Lanka. And that's been going back since independence in, in 48. Now, you know, Premadasa... You know, I mean, there, there are lots of skeletons uh, in in the cupboard, right? Uh, especially when you have a, a hot civil war going on. Now, I want to fast forward to 2001 after after 
when I was, uh, you know, senior advisor to Kofi Annan at the UN, and I was also in the counterterrorism committee, where I was dispatched to negotiate the 2002 ceasefire with the main se Tamil separatist group, the Liberation Tigers of uh, Tamilila, the LTTE. And I remember doing 15 trips in 2001 and 10 trips in 2005, uh, sorry, 2002. And, uh, you know, we had the, the two unilateral ceasefires that were signed. And that was in place till 2004 when the civil war restarted, when the Tamil Tigers, you know, abrogated whatever agreement that was made and went back to war. The war went on from 2004 to May 2009 when the LTT was militarily defeated uh, in the north and east of Sri Lanka with the last stand happening in, in Mullivaikal in, in uh, Muletivu. Since that time, um, you know, there have been a couple of governments, you know, there was uh, President Chandrika Kumartunga, who was president. Uh, her mother was the world's first woman prime minister, Mrs. Sirimawa Bandaranaika. And then that was after that, uh, it was Mahindra Rajapaksa who came as uh, the president. He was elected and that went on. Uh, he lost power. And then his younger brother, Gotambe Rajapaksa was elected in this current uh, mess. Now, now the, the situation in Sri Lanka is not so much about playing musical chairs. This is what I'm telling all my 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 compatriots that it's a, a macroeconomic restructuring that is needed to solve the problem. So, PL, one, PL, can you hold on one second? Yes. So, Nithya, we'll come back. Nithya, can you tell us? So, Nithya, you're one of the protesters who, are, who is involved there, right? So tell us what's mm -hmm. been going on. Go ahead. Um, so today they stormed the president's uh, residence. At Just speak up louder, at Nithya. Speak up as loud as you can. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me, Dr. Sivan? Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Right. Okay, so I'm Nithya Fernando. I've um, been involved in the protest since I think it spearheaded um, because I'm an organization called Yellow for Democracy. Um, on the 4th of April. And since then, I think we've had a significant, um, rather people have stepped down on the 9th of April, the 9th of May, um, sorry, rather 9th of May, 9th of June, and hence today, 9th of July. Um, so there is a collective effort because I think last week we felt that, um, or rather for the past three weeks, we felt that with the fuel shortages, the food shortages, people were disheartened. Um, they were losing hope, they were losing hope um, to think that there would actually be any systemic change, that there would be a change in um, the regime or the government, anyone would fall in all party national government. Um, so that being said, I think I this week I saw on social media, a lot of people said, you know, it's our last chance, it's the 9th of July, let's do the best we can as the people. And that's exactly what they did this morning. Um, they still stormed the president's office, yet we have not heard of resignation from him despite that being, uh, that happening. Um, and we were, I wasn't, I wasn't present in the morning, but I was there when they decided to um, storm Mr. Rani Vikramasinghe's house. So it was never the intention, I think, of the protesters there to actually uh, move into his residence. Um, it was pretty peaceful. It started at 4.30. It was the usual. We had the barricade of the SDF. Um, his residence is on the fifth on fifth lane, which is near Plava Road, um, which is central Colombo. And um, it, it, it was it was fine. I think it was the usual thing. You would have the SDF and they were letting protesters in and out through. They were very peaceful as well themselves. Um, it got to a tipping point, I think, when um, the SDF, they were lined up at the entrance of his house and they decided to move away. And the protesters gained access to the first barricade. Um, as they did um, with the president's house, I think they tried to topple the, that barricade, and that's when they started firing tear gas. Um, tear gas was fired, I think, uh, probably 20 canisters at the first round. Um, that's when a lot of people moved down, um, because I think no one was prepared for that eventuality. I don't think they thought it would go that far. Um, I think things, re the climate, the environment that changed when there was a news first reporter that was beaten by the SDF and another woman 
um, that is when I really saw a change in a lot of protesters there. I think they thought a day, I mean, after all, because a lot of the dialogue that was going between uh, the protesters and the SDF was, you know, you are Nita as well, who are you protecting? You're to protect the people, you're here for the people, not for anyone else. Um, that was happening, and I think when they hit the news report on the woman, I think a lot of protesters decided that they're not going to give up. So they were rallying people um, from all sides of Colombo. And uh, then the tear gas, I think, hit a tear, I think, a peak, because um, there were at least about 100 to 200 people, maybe 500 in the end, um, uh, who were trying to dissipate the tear gas, because what you do is when it's fired at you, you douse it with water, and you usually put a track cone over it. Um, it's really uncomfortable. Um, you start hearing, I think, if you've been in it, you know what it's like. If you haven't, um, it lasts over about two minutes, but it's uncomfortable and it works. The police, um, I think they charged twice at us and I saw the protesters move back. Um, but then they moved back in because I think the crowd got so big they couldn't control it. Um, I think some of the protesters um, decided then to break the barricade and that's when the SDF decided to take a step back and they moved to the second barricade. They moved to the second barricade and I think this, this was going on for about four hours. This is around, this would have happened around eight o'clock. 8 p.m. And after they moved to the second barricade, I think they ran out of tear gas. Um, they took over a trap, the water can cannon trap. And that's when the protesters stormed uh, Mr. Vikramasinghe's office. Um, it's upsetting that I think um, what started off as a non-violent day, it had to come to this. Um, I think a lot of people, I because I was there in it, and they were quite... Um, elated with what had happened at Gotagogama. I think they were, as a people, I felt like they had, they, you know, their voices were heard. But after all this, I think a lot, some people um, feel like, I mean, at the end of the day, it is damage to a private property. Um, after all, it is against the law. Uh, and I don't think anyone expected it to get that far. So, Nithya, um, so Nithya let me just ask you a question. So, we have a bunch of people uh, signing mm -hmm. in and listening. So if we mm -hmm. just take a big step back, Sivam, you were sharing this on our phone call, right? Mm -hmm. As I understand, there for 92 days, people were camping mm -hmm. out, right? In Colombo, yeah. in open mm -hmm. areas. So that's something we mm -hmm. need to remember. And they were doing, it was a very a communal event, people from all different backgrounds, religions, everyone was coming, right? Mm -hmm. And that's been happening for 92 days. Mm -hmm. And it was only recently when the, when the police went in, right? Which is a few days mm -hmm. ago, is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Uh, and um, mm -hmm. and when we look at this diagram here, just so people understand, because a lot of people are new to this, the pre this this family, a very corrupt, brutal family, has been running Sri Lanka for many many years, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Mahinda Rajapakse, um, he was a one uh, who was a finance minister, right, Sivam? Prior to this, I Mahinda was a former prime minister, his brother is was the president, and Chamal uh, and Basil was the finance right. minister. But tell us a little, so people understand the tyranny, the, the brutality of these people. Uh, this guy, Godabaya, is a war criminal, right? Who was running the government, is that right? Yeah, he was he, he, he's accused to have murdered a large amount of uh, Tamil minority uh, population uh, un unnecessarily and, and knowingly. Right. So uh, I guess he's considered a war criminal. Uh, but these people together, um, when you were telling me the history, Sivam, was there's a very interesting history here that the there were various groups in the 80s, late 80s, when we were at MIT, who were fighting it out in Sri Lanka, primarily fighting for the uh, fighting against the genocide that was taking place to the northern Tamils, a minority there. But even in that movement, I remember back in the 80s, there were people saying, hey, the Tamil minority and the Sinhalese should come together and really fight against the brutal regime. But the uh, level of brutality was such there was so much noise, you couldn't really speak to the Sinhalese population and the Tamil, and the, even though they're very well-minded people wanting to do this. So you had Rajapaksa come in. Um, the Indian government, as you said, came in and took over the northern par part of, and that's what you were saying, right, PL? The northern part of India, 
and then the, no Rod- north and far, north and east of sri lanka i mean that was the indus indus the indian peacekeeping force the right. ipkf so that was in the late 80s right early that 90s that was 87 15th of august 87 till like 1991 when they pulled out right so so for people to understand you have a minority in the north called the tamils who were being brutalized by this family and other previous prime ministers so there was an ethnic quote unquote war which was fueled by different powers and then in the 80s and 90s the indian the indians came or we we said in 87 the indians came right pl in the north yes, and east parts to be the peacekeeping force and interesting enough sivam you said that the government enlisted one of the tamil groups called ltte to actually go fight the indian government and in fact they actually blew up they actually assassinated the prime minister of india called rajiv gandhi this was in what late 80s hey, that was 1990 1990 early 90s so 1990 so after that the this group ltt themselves were wiped out and then you went back to the same brutality uh which his family was operating for many many years the continuation occurred but what we're talking about now is Nithya what you're talking about is that these protests were spurred on by the economic realities right mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. this family has essentially been selling out the country yeah. all these leaders for how many ever decades mm-hmm. so now it has affected both the north and the south so the mm-hmm. the protests were had nothing to do with a, a ethno or regional conflict in this case it had to do with pure economics mm-hmm. is that right yeah and yeah. terrible policies you tell Nithya and PL and Sivam the reality of these economic system you were saying that they were this guy was cutting off the hands of people and brutalizing people they released people out of prison i just want people to understand who don't know about sri lanka yeah um, the brutality of this regime and the economics and then pl and siva maybe you guys can also share with people the huge um value of sri lanka you know as a as a port what's going on with china i think it's really important for people to under, give that background but nithya maybe you can just share the economics or and any one of you go ahead just jump in so maybe i'll i'll, I'll first you know in a very simple way perhaps uh, yeah that be good explain so so basically you know after the british left uh, sri lanka without too much of conflict uh, you know introduced democracy which means that the majority gets to vote which means the majority um can do whatever they like with the minority because they are majority right so the first protest was by the minorities in the very same place uh, politicians and they were brutalized and um uh, this i think is a cause of sri lanka's downfall in that uh, the country got uh, racially polarized and because of the voting system where the majorities could vote Uh, a polarized population it kind of split into two things the minority is fighting for their rights versus the majority wanting to retain uh, their rights and this led to wars and this led to not only wars a huge amount of life loss instability and the rise of of communal politics right so finally uh, sri lankans have realized that uh, they've all been divided and and money has been siphoned off and they've been all been divided and brought to ruination so this has brought all sri lankans together in a very positive way and we are seeing people working together religious groups joining hands and we are seeing things that has never happened before in sri lanka so for the first time we actually seeing a multi religious multi lingual perhaps you want to even call it sri lanka which is what it's supposed to be uh so it's very inspiring what happened and all of this happened without bloodshed after decades of terrible bloodshed uh you know it's has been a cost of it but i think sri lanka is now going through a, a good spot in terms of its realization on all sides i mean realizing change and and become a modern nation Yeah that thanks Simon for giving that background does someone want to give an idea to people the strategic value of Sri Lanka and and with with China and what's been going on go ahead PL right i i first want to to address the the economic situation 
because what I have maintained all along to my Sri Lankan compatriots as well as people at the UN uh, and the British government is that what is needed in Sri Lanka is a macroeconomic restructuring, a reset. And that cannot be done by street protests and changing the politicians, you know, musical chairs, you know, whoever you get, whether you chase the president out, get them to resign, it doesn't solve the problem because the problem is macroeconomic. And the reasons are as follows. This is the, the, the backlash of the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, what happened is that tourists don't come, the Middle East workers were sent back, so remittances don't happen. So the Sri Lankan exchequer doesn't have dollars. There's no dollars coming in. Then on top of that, you have the Ukraine war, which has increased fuel prices, food shortages, etc. And then you add on top of that the, the rampant corruption. So if you put all of that together, it's a perfect storm. And that's the reason why not a single politician in Sri Lanka can solve the problem. Okay. Now, Sri Lanka, from a geostrategic point of view, is, is very important. Uh, it, it sits along the, 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 the trade routes, the oil routes from the Gulf of Aden to, you know, uh, Southeast Asia, Singapore, on to China. And, and that's why, you know, the southern port of Hambantara was so important. And uh, the Indians and the Chinese and the Western powers, there have been interests. And uh, the Chinese have played a, a, a great role. Uh, and in fact, in suppressing the, the, the Tamil separatist uprising, the Chinese basically bankrolled the Sri Lankan army. You had Norinko coming and setting up shop. You know, heavy artillery, you know, ammo uh, was given by the Chinese. And, uh, you know, after the war, the Chinese, of course, had a free hand. But it's not only the Chinese that helped the Sri Lankan government defeat the, the Tamil separatists uh, who were fighting them. There were Indians helped them, the Pakistanis helped them, the Israelis helped them, the British and the Americans to some extent with intelligence. And, and so it was like a collective effort. Uh, in in taking that on, so you got to understand all of those things. You know the strategic importance going forward, and uh, the the more that Sri Lanka is on its knees, means that one of these powers, either the Indians or the Chinese, are going to pick us up for cheap. Yeah, PL. I think I think the the the, the key point you're saying is first of all, Sri Lanka. I remember. Back in the 80s, when all when we were organizing the protests, I was at the um, MIT library and there was a book that popped out called The Strategic Value of the Indian Ocean. It's 4,000 miles by 4,000 miles. And Sri Lanka is right in the middle of that. And it has what's called the natural port, which means that anyone who has access to Sri Lanka, literally what you just said, controls the trillions of dollars of flow of goods in that region. So what you're sharing is that during the genocidal war that took place by the government, backed by imperial powers, the Chinese were also backing that because they wanted to get favor with this Sri Lankan government plus other powers. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and, and not only that. I mean, I mean, weapons were got from everywhere, from from Belarus, from Russia. I mean, you name it. I mean, if you look at uh, the Sri Lankan army or military kit, it's from everywhere. You had Dora, Swipodora in the in the navy. You had Chinese uh, APCs, tanks, uh, multi-barrel rocket launchers from Belarus. I mean, you name it. You know, helicopters, helicopter gunships. Uh, you know, fighters, fighter bombers. You know, all of that was there. And uh, the Tamil separatist movement, the Tamil Tigers in particular, lost the plot because I remember 2002 negotiating. I think what was the best deal for for the for the Tamil minority, uh, the 2002 to cease, unilateral ceasefire. But uh, the Tamil Tigers made a mockery of it, and that was because the the leader of the Tamil Tigers, Velupulli uh, Prabhakaran, simply couldn't survive in in a peaceful environment. He needed, you know, continuous war all the time. So it it takes two hands to clap. Shiva. So you got to keep all of those things in mind. And and actually, the, the Tigers, 
the Tamil Tigers, they kill more Tamils than put together than, than the Sri Lankan military. So do, do not forget history. Yeah, and I think that, but I think one thing we need to recognize, there were movements even among the Tamil uh, people who wanted to unite with the Sinhalese to expose the brutality of the government. And unfortunately, those movements weren't that advanced at that time or didn't get that much play. But I think today, Nithya, the Chinese, as I understand, have put massive amounts of money and put Sri Lanka into debt. Is that right? That's what Sivan was sharing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so the Chinese own one of the big ports. And to everyone yes. listening, whoever owns a port in, in Sri Lanka essentially has, basically they've conquered the Indian Ocean in some sense, right? They have huge imperial control of the entire Indian Ocean. And so China has literally come in there and own, essentially, Sivam, you were saying that they've owned, can someone give what the China's involvement and how this essentially um, how much billions they put in there that went into this corrupt family and then they put the country into debt. Can someone talk to that, Nithya? Yeah. Perhaps you can, or anyone? Uh, actually, Dr. Shiva, I was I will inform you in about two minutes we're losing power in this area. Okay. So my connection will be cut off. So I okay. will have to log off now. Um, okay. But thank you so much for having me on yeah, today. Thank you, Nithya. Thanks, thanks for the... Thank, yeah, you. thank you so much. Thank you. Your guys are making you, history. Thank you. Yes. Thank yeah. you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, Sivam or PL, thank you. Yeah. Nithya. So that's Nithya right from the protest site in Sri Lanka. Can yeah. what, any one of you just give again yeah. a little more background? Uh, I think, think we have to look at this in in, in context. China just speak is a little a, louder, Sivam. Yeah. Yeah. China is a is a growing power in Asia, and obviously wants to develop its power, and um, it's very unfortunate that that Sri Lanka, you can't really blame China altogether because, you know, th these loans were not forced on, on anybody, right? Uh, the government happily borrowed billions of do uh, dollars, uh, built highways into nowhere, built uh, airports in jungles, built towers, and all kinds of uh, wasted that money with, with no return. So it, it's really, um, it's, it's a fault of, of the Sri Lankan governance to to essentially manage that money that money could have been managed well and, and and could have led to prosperity so i think we have to look at that in in the context of of chinese interest indian interest and uh the, the caliber of people who, who ran the country now i think pl and i perhaps uh, differ pl is taking a very uh, economic view of the thing but i think there's something called modernity right and i think you know a lot of countries have through ages of, I mean, look at America, right, of, of trauma and and uh, horrible things that they did to, to the minorities in those countries and the native people in those countries. I mean, look at Australia, right? They have gone through a historical process and they have come out of it, right? It still has flaws, it still has deficiencies, but they've come out of it. And I think that is really um, something really important to build economic prosperity. If you don't have that, you will have the kind of wars, the bloody wars that Sri Lanka had and the bloody wars that many other countries are having. So I think to me, the most interesting thing that has come out of this is people realize what's important because what these politicians did is that they were extremely good at dividing people, creating hatred, creating paranoia, right? And, and, and just benefiting from it, right? I mean, Sri Lanka, the moment you had democracy, we had somebody called Bandar Nayaka who made Sinhalese the official language in 24 hours. Yeah, Sivam, let's just give a let Sivam, let's just give a quick background by what you're saying. So there, there are two ethnic two ethnic groups in Sri Lanka, right? Sinhalese and Tamils. Three. 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 And Muslims. Yeah. Muslims. Yeah. But, okay. but let, let, let me let me tell you a funny story. Uh, the, the Tamils and Sinhalese are genetically identical. They're in fact South Indian genetically, right? There's no genetic difference. So in a global scale, the people in Sri Lanka are like off each other by 0.00000%, right? But yeah. for them, it's a world of difference. Why? One is Buddhist, one is Hindu and so on. Right? So, but they also share a common culture. 
So this is completely artificial. History, obviously, you know, like what Britain did, there wasn't India. Britain, England created India. England, in a way, created Sri Lanka. But then it introduced democracy. And our prime minister is on record. He was an Oxford-educated uh, prime minister who couldn't speak his own language. He's on record saying in parliament, at least the Indians fought for their independence. He says, one day we woke up and the British gave us independence, said, you're independent now, right? And, and we hear about, you know, national heroes. These guys didn't even fight, right? They were just given independence, right? So what do they do? They said, how do we get votes? This is democracy now. Now we get votes. Okay, we are the majority. We get the votes. We screw the minority. Very smart idea, right? And then what happened? The same game went on and on and on and on. They polarized the minorities. The minorities tried democratically first. The first protest was in the Gulf place the same place, right? They were beaten up, thrown into the Beira Lake, right? And the Tamil youth rebelled, right? Now the Sinhalese youth are rebelling, but they're not shot, they're not machine gunned, right? Why? Because it's a Sinhalese army, right? But when the Tamil youth rebelled, they were brutalized. So you have the brutalization of the North, which led to the terrorist, uh, the separatist movement, which unfortunately ended up a, a worse animal than what was there before. It, it became you know, there was an element of fascism in the Tamil uh, liberation movement, right? And and they were they were murderers, right? So that further separated the Sinhalese, created more tension, and then you had a war hero who finally got rid of the Tamils, and that war hero is Gotabaya Rajapaksa. So the Sinhalese voted him blindly because he was a war hero. He liberated them, right? And they they believed. Uh, that he was their savior, right? Now there's a beautiful Turkish saying that the tree thinks the axe is their friend because the axe is made out of wood, right? So this is what the Tamils did. They they thought Velupule Prabhakaran is there to save them. He's their war hero. And the Sinhalese thought that, okay, we have Rajapaksa, he's our war hero, he's our man, right? See what both these our men did. They screwed everybody over. They screwed their own people over, right? So this is a learning that has happened, and this is of immense value. It comes as a huge cost. And I think this will do Sri Lanka a lot of good. I think it will create Sri Lanka because you can't just call a country and everybody thinks they are all different. Yes, Sivam, I, I think you're bringing up something really interesting that occurred throughout the colonial post-colonial period, right? You had the colonial powers who were in India or Sri Lanka or Africa, all these nations. And a couple of things took place, which is, I think, what you bring up, which is a very important observation, is that those people in those countries during colonial times were actually suppressed from ever, ever having their own bottoms-up movement. And whenever they were actually building a bottoms-up movement, they typically projected some bogus leader onto them to suppress that. And then one day, like you said, they had a parliamentary process which said, now you're all free. Occurred in India, right? And the Indian documents were called transfer of power. It looks like the same thing occurred in Sri Lanka. You actually never let a bottoms-up movement come up where a real nation emerges. That's and I correct. think what you're bringing up here is what we're seeing now is that pent-up demand, which never Absolutely. took place. Absolutely. The natural uprising of people, which is what a true democratic it, it's not democracy where you just transfer power from one from white men with crowns to it's, brown men and absolutely then you, and, i think yeah. it's, it's a realization that we are in one island and we are one people and we better hang in together right yeah. and uh, dividing us is, is no longer the game right and I think that's a huge realization, and I think that'll stay because it has come. Yeah, but but I, th I think the feature in Sri Lanka that people can learn that's happening right now is the division of people, Muslims, I, I think, as you said, Tamilians, and let's say Sinhalese, when they're probably brethren, they are brethren, right, in many levels, that these divisions actually support imperialism, right, at a very deep level, or exploitation, economic exploitation, because as long as you have people fighting among each other, you have the Sinhalese in the South uh, looking the other way when serious genocidal issues were taking place, right? Uh, and then you have, uh, when you have a fascist come up in, in, in the North among the Tamils, and then that fascist actually gets used against the people themselves, people look the other way. And th these divisions 
I think the way I think you intersect what you're saying, Sivam, the the issue of division and the fact that a natural uprising never took place to unify people. And I think what PLU said, the economic realities, the intersection is that the division of people is actually used to promote the economic advancement of a, in this case, his family, right? And this is what's happening in the United States, by the way. There was a report that just came out, just came out uh, one week ago. And no media has covered it by the University of Chicago, which is no small school. And the report said that 28% of Americans want to take up arms against their own government in the United States. And moreover, this was done by Democrats, Republicans, and 20% were Democrats, okay? 50% independents. But it also said that the news media, the mainstream news media, which we know is just agents of the government, has been promoting this left-right uh, narrative. So every issue in the United States right now is divided, right? The one group of the white working class against another group of the white working class, et cetera. And you, it's directly related to the economic conditions right now. So much money was pumped into, into the U.S. economy, close to $6.9 trillion by Trump. All of it went to the stock market. So you have a boat. And, and in PL, you were talking about the... Um, the pandemic during the last two years, 600 billionaires increased their wealth to $2.3 trillion. So no one talks about this, and yet Americans are at each other's throats. So it is a very powerful vehicle of having people fighting among themselves. The difference between America and I, I think Sri Lanka is America actually went through this process where they did have a mass, at least some uprising, and they did seize power, and they truly did a bottoms-up democratic movement, by and large. Okay, you can make some arguments, but in places like India and Sri Lanka, we never had. We it's almost like our growth was stunted. India, or particularly Sri Lanka, and, and yeah, India. So in, in Sri Lanka, what happened is, you know, they they didn't. I mean, they kicked Gandhi out of the train, right? They kicked his bum out of the train. I mean, till then everything was fine. Only in, in South Congress, Africa, you're yeah. talking about in South exactly. Africa. He thought, hey, what's going on? And they didn't. Uh, they didn't let the the, the Indian. Um, you know, elite into the cricket clubs, right? Right, and that was their problem. And and same with our our, our, our jokers in our, our Sri Lankan elite. You know, they were perfectly fine. Uh, they were they were happy, and 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 independence was just dumped on them uh, because Gandhi was making himself a nuisance in India. You know, so they didn't really know what to do. So they just wanted to grab votes, grab power, and it's been the same game. And then centralized power, move back to kingship. What we have now, what has just collapsed is a kingship, right? You have family, you have dynasties, and you have, you have corruption, and you have no rule of law. The king decides. Kingship has collapsed in Sri Lanka. That's all it is. It was glorifying the past and going backwards in history, saying this was the ideal condition. So people have now realized what the ideal condition was, right? It's like- Yeah, Sivam, I think the point, I think, again, if you go, it's almost we're going back to colonial rule and the 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 war never really was allowed to begin or end. Meaning during colonial times, you're the king who ran, the kings left, the white kings left, and they replaced them with brown kings. And those brown kings, like this family, has been running Sri Lanka, right? As you see here. And they- ran the country through ethnic divide and rule. And now you have this recognition among all sectors. I think what you were saying was pretty fascinating among all religious sectors. This has never occurred before. Or I think on that lawn that you were saying, that you were saying is a pretty big lawn. Let me bring up that picture. This area, people for 92 days of all different ethnic backgrounds are there, right, Savam? PL? It wasn't just any one ethnic group. This is pretty historic in Sri Lankan history. Am I right or no? I think it has never happened before. Yeah. This is the first time. Yeah. So I think that's what's profound here. And it's in many ways what's occurring in Sri Lanka is probably a good lesson for the rest of the world. We, we're living in a world right now that massive, massive transfer has wealth in two years has taken place. And I just wanted to share with you guys this diagram. And maybe, um, PL, you can speak to this. Um, this, uh, let me share this diagram here. This uh, is a very interesting diagram. Can you guys see this? Um, what this diagram is, it's talking about, I mean, you could probably map this out globally, but you look at the first period during the 1940s to 1970s, 
during this period in, in the United States, there was massive prosperity. The economy grew, GDP grew, and people's wages grew. Okay, right here, you can see that. Um, and during this period, the labor movements across black, white was very, very vibrant in the United States. So as the economy grew, everyone's wages grew because, and during this period, there were close to uh, 11,000 strikes in the United States, a very vibrant working class, 50 million people. In 1970, the left and the right divided up the American working class. In the 1950s, they said if you supported trade unions and you were a worker, you were branded as a communist. And they busted up the bottoms up movement in the United States. And starting in 1970, Reagan comes in the 80s and he starts busting up all the unions on the right wing. So if you were saying you were supporting the unions or workers' rights, you must be a quote unquote a communist. You couldn't be something indigenously occurring bottoms up. And then the left took over all the top down unions, what you were saying, some centralized all these trade unions. And they didn't even strike anymore. So during this period in American history, there were only 900 strikes. During this period, 11,000 strikes. And what do you see going on in the United States? And I, I bet you have the same map, probably even worse, in Sri Lanka. During this period, you have total, the GDP has actually grown, massive productivity. So the Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos, these guys have made trillions. But over here, the wages of people have not grown. And this is in the United States. And during this period, you have no bottoms up movement anymore. And so I think in Sri Lanka, there was a, I mean, there's a something to be learned here. PL would be interesting to speak to from an economic standpoint. I think in Sri Lanka, you never really had a chance even for any of this to develop, right? But the economics were never there. But I don't think there was even a bottoms up. I, I don't know how the trade unions are organized, but I don't know if they were organized in Sri Lanka. Um, but economically, how was the working class organized in Sri Lanka? But were they always divided into Tamil and Sinhalese and Muslim? They were, they, you know, the, the 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 unions were affiliated with, you know, whichever government was in power. The and top you, unions. You're talking about yeah, so, the organized... so all, all the different parties that were yeah. in government had had unions supporting them, and there. So it's not a really a left-right thing. It's it's what kind of benefits whoever the ministers are in power that can give uh, to the people who support them. I mean, at the end of the day, <clears throat> it's a kind of a patronymic where, you know, you there, there's a patron client situation between the people in power and the unions that support them. And that's no different uh, to what happens in England. Uh, for example, uh, so you know there, there's a strong strong relationship between unions and and politicians. So so yeah. these are yeah. some of the things that we need to keep in mind. By the way, since you were talking history, I just like to to a point of of record that uh, that the the first prime minister after the British left in Sri Lanka was my stepmother's uncle. So so that just shows you, you know the the, the you know you know, placing myself in the whole historical context. And of course, you know, what what we did in Sri Lanka to try to change the status quo um, unsuccessfully, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, still being taken seriously enough to, to try to see how we could bring some kind of ethnic, multi-ethnic harmony in Sri Lanka. And that's very important. And, uh, you know, while a macroeconomic solution is the resolution is needed to to save sri lanka the future belongs to all the communities of sri lanka multi-ethnic yeah. multi that's working together working Work. together yeah by the so way everyone joining us we have uh two guests here we have sivam and we have pl uh, both of them are natives of sri lanka both of them have participated in ways to improve the country at various points in their life. Um, one of the things I want to, I think, emphasize is that, um, and we should probably close up, I think people got a pretty good background. Those of you coming, you should probably go watch this video. You'll get a pretty good understanding. Uh, we had Nithya on, who was physically on the ground with the protesters. And this protest that's taking place has never occurred before in Sri Lankan history. All groups are coming together. Uh, in a in a multi sort of 
cultural, multi-religious, multi-political uh, background to, against the government. So it's, it's, that's pretty cool. The issue is, let's, let's wrap it up by uh, where does this go? What is going to be the solution? Where do you guys see this going? I think Sri Lanka is already poor. It's going to get poorer, but it's going to be enlightened. It's going to be a modern nation. And I'm very hopeful that out of this mess, you will have a new country emerging, uh, a country we'll all be proud to be part of. When you say that, Sivan, what you're saying is that people are going to finally wake up and realize that they have to build a country by themselves, bottoms up. Yeah, people will realize that, you know, uh, you know, people will realize they have to work together. And this division is a game of, of the dirtiest politicians. The, the filthiest politicians divide people. The great politicians unite people. And, you know, on one side you feel, you know, your person will, will get you the goods, right? Uh, both sides felt that in Sri Lanka uh, through a terrible wars and decades of conflict. Now uh, they realize that that takes nobody nowhere. It's, it, it is a formula for collective ruination. So right. this is a great expensive learning. I, I, I hope that the rest of Asia will also learn from this terrible and sad uh, example. And uh, well, not only uh, Asia, and not only Asia, Sivan, but the United States. You have massive division now on every issue in the United States, perpetuated by the left and the quote unquote the left and the right. And it's essentially pit the working class against each other in this country. But I think people can look to Sri Lanka with what's happening is some hope. Uh, go ahead, PL. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm also like? I'm also hopeful for the country because you know. The people on the ground have set the reset button as far as politicians are concerned. But unfortunately, we have a bunch of crooks and criminals in parliament. So so how much that would be a solution, I don't know. But we need the younger generation to come to the front. All these crooks from the past need to be sent packing. And, uh, and that has to go in tandem with a macroeconomic solution, as I've been saying. The Sri Lankan population is young, educated, uh, versatile, and that's the future. But we also need to get away from being hooked on tourism and Middle East workers sending remittances back and tea rubber coconut. That's simply not enough to, to take a country of, say, what, 23, 25 million people forward. So we need to have say for example manufacturing industry like what has happened in vietnam and other places we need to have that in place in order for the success story to happen and we need a new younger generation of sri lankans coming to the fore to run the country so the future belongs to the youth let me let me ask you once one question on that um on um Sivam, you were telling me earlier when we were talking that one of the industries of Sri Lanka was exporting women. Is that right? Can you? I'm sorry. So, God, exporting, exporting domestic maids. That's 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 the backbone of the Sri Lankan economy for for quite some time. See, tea and rubber doesn't pay for for petrol, right? So, bulk of the revenue was from from maids, labor of maids in the Middle East. So how, how did the country make money from maids? So they export women to Middle East countries and then no, from the income that they, they got, they the get a job and then they send money back, right? Um, I see. Yeah, and yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and there's some horror stories of what took place, right? In those situations, how people were actually, the women were actually abused, right? In those conditions. Yeah, yeah that yeah. happens, right? When you, yeah, when people escape and, and families are split, you know, it has a, it has a social cost as well. What is the debt that Sri Lanka owns owes right now to the Chinese and the World Bank? What does that debt look like? Fifty-two billion, which is okay. a rounding error in in U.S. economic terms. Yeah, and what is the GDP size of Sri Lanka? Fifty-two not billion. Sure. Huh? No, I'm not sure about the GDP, but what what is owed the debt is fifty-two billion dollars. Right. right. Well, uh, Sivam and I were. You know, apparently there's um, some proposal for like a coalition government to come in. I was saying, and you guys may differ on this, I, I would say one of the first things that coalition government should do is to say we're not paying any of this debt to the Chinese or the IMF and clean their balance sheets. To me, that would show some balls 
And I think anything less than that would show that you still want to accommodate the previous uh, garbage that took place. What do you guys think about that? Won't won't happen because we 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 are not self-sufficient in 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 hydrocarbons. We we don't have petrol, diesel, uh, you know. So without and and cooking gas and things like that, and that you can't have if you alienate the international, you know, your trading partners. Uh huh. So Sri Lanka has no ability in the Indian Ocean to get its own oil, gas, none of that. I know you have the Reliance guys, the Indian guys. I mean, they build huge offshore platforms in the yeah, Indian not, Ocean. Yeah, not in, not in the Manar Basin. I see. Yeah, okay. but, but why is there no, no, there's, why there's no light rail? Why, why, why is Sri Lanka consuming so much of petrol, right? Everybody buys a car, government taxes it, builds massive roads with, with loans. I mean, this is so wasteful so so silly right i mean if you have a good public transport you reduce the petrol cost that was never done not even contemplate right right so these are the things that need to happen to to wean sri lanka out of gas well one of the things we talk about some as, as many of you know we we've you know since i ran for office at Sivam, you've known me for a long time you know i've always been very uh i've been an activist most of my life um, and my roommate. And I was, we were roommates at MIT. Uh, we organized against MIT's involvement in South Africa. There's a picture of me many years ago burning the South African flag. We organized, we chased out the prime minister of Sri Lanka. But I never, you know, it was only recently I participated in electoral politics. And we won our Republican election. It was clearly stolen from us. I mean, I won't get into the details of that. And there's enough written. We won a major historic lawsuit. Mainstream media never covered it, but we've created a movement now, a global movement. There's close to 400,000 people who've joined our movement. It's for truth, freedom, and health, where you intersect that these battles for freedom and uh, infrastructure, economic health, infrastructure health, as well as science are all inter intersected. And But one of the things you just said, Sivam, is that the infrastructure, so all of these jackasses, they steal money, they put the countries into debt, but they don't build even basic infrastructure. So to your point, they didn't build any public infrastructure. And you take a country like Sri Lanka, which is beautiful, as I understand, I haven't been there. Um, you're sitting in the middle of the Indian Ocean. There are so many industries that can come out of from the ocean. Uh, I remember many, many years ago, I met one of the senior advisors to the prime minister of Mauritius. So the prime minister of Mauritius said, I wanna be like Silicon Valley. And he goes, look, you're an idiot. Your land, if you look at all the ocean mass that Mauritius owns, it's equivalent to the size of India. He goes, why don't we do innovative things using the ocean? You know, there's so many things, products from the ocean. So many of these fools who run these countries, because they're just into corrupt and owning cars and exploiting women, et cetera, they never even look at what's around them, right? Didn't you say that with the Chinese civil, they built a airport in the bird sanctuary? Something like well, this? The, the government built uh, uh, an airport in a bird sanctuary. And I think there were about one or two planes that landed. That's about it. Right. So the waste has been humongous and, uh, you know, it's just meaningless. Highways were built in, you know, for no, not, no economic return. So it's been a huge waste. Um, and I think the Sri Lankans for a generation or two are going to pay the price for for these mistakes oh definitely the country will take at, at least 10 years to get out of this mess and talking about marine resources do you know shiva that fishermen are starving because they can't put out to sea because there's no diesel to put out to sea yeah it's pretty amazing when you look at the contradictions in these places and and probably people are starving people are starving when there's so much fish out there right you have, you're, you're in the Indian Ocean, you have access to massive amounts of seafood, kelp, I mean, all these amazing resources, and people can't even get, get that, and people are starving. But, but there, there's a thing called IUU fishing, illegal, unrecorded, unregulated fishing. And the Chinese, the Taiwanese, these huge motherships, they are overfishing the Indian Ocean. So it's not that many resources that you have. So therefore, the Sri Lankan fishermen, they can't go out in their, you know, sail rowboats to go and do fishing. They got to have diesel to go deeper and deeper into the ocean to catch fish. So no diesel means no catch. No catch means 
fisher folks families go hungry and same for people who want to have nutrition a nutritious diet made of you know from from fish products fish and fish well, products one of the things you said pl i i don't know uh, sivam i'm intersecting what you said didn't you say that uh the former prime minister of sri lanka uh said no more urea no more um uh-huh. he banned he banned uh yes. the president banned chemical fertilizers overnight despite the opposition of so many people academics and so on it was a uh, a moment of complete idiocy yeah i mean we all yeah. want organic food which is good but this guy does it overnight the, the key thing is the reason i wanted to bring this up is diesel there's a huge shortage occurring in the united states in order for diesel to work properly in the modern engines you have to add something called def and the main component of that is urea which which is used for fertilizer right so even if you have enough diesel you need the urea and obviously uh the number one creator of that in the world is india but india uses it internally russia is the second biggest creator and most of that um they restricted going out so all these economies are very closely interconnected and i think when i saw these pictures this morning y'all and sivam it was pretty frankly it was pretty cool um seeing these people particularly this people coming together in masses uniting together and starting to build these bottoms up movements uh, it's not terrorists it's not violent you know there will be people who try to obviously make them violent and not be bottoms up and and those are probably supported by different imperial forces but this is for 92 days people have been organizing this and um it's pretty inspiring so i think in closing uh i hope everyone who's listening got a really good lesson on what's going on in sri lanka yes sri lanka is a small country but the lessons there are quite profound that i think can reverberate across the country even in the united states about how division takes place the economic issues are put under the rug so people don't want to come together and unite and i think that's the message that you you've hit upon sivam and same with upl and i know both of you guys have struggled there in your own journeys there so thank you for coming on at such short notice okay tomorrow you, you tomorrow you. we're going to do is we're going to have ram on to those of you listening um my good friend uh ram he, he was also um uh, myself sivam and ram were alumni at MIT and uh ram was actually jailed uh and tortured by the sri lankan government and i think we lost uh, pl that's okay but sivam you and i can wrap this up but uh ram was jailed uh we were fortunate the protest did help and he was finally let out but tomorrow we're going to have ram who has become a sort of a policy maker right sivam advisor a thought leader and he is heading from the netherlands to sri lanka um right now as we're speaking so he wanted to be on here but he wasn't able to come but we'll have him on and he'll give us some more insights but sivam thank you anything else you want to close on my pleasure thank you so much uh, shiva nice talking to you all okay thank you be awesome okay. yep all right everyone so that was a quick review for everyone um on what's going on in sri lanka i was very fortunate sivam my good roommate and alumni from mit for many many god 40 30 years ago was able to bring some people in we as i said we were fortunate to have one of the women who was actually a protester she shared with us what what's going on there hopefully everyone got a pre history analysis and tomorrow we'll continue this and if you guys um have any other questions please email me and many of you know that we are creating a global movement for truth freedom and health and i encourage everyone to be part of this as sivam said we need to unify people and our movement essentially says if you're going to fight for freedom free speech that cannot be divorced from innovation and science because without freedom you can't really get to truth and without truth and freedom you can't really talk about your physical health infrastructure health etc and without physical health or infrastructure health you don't have the wherewithal to fight for freedom and truth so what's happening in sri lanka is quite profound i also invite everyone every thursdays at 11 a.m. edt for people Uh, on the other side of the world in 8 p.m. we hold an orientation to invite people to uh be part of this movement which aims to unify people beyond left and right and um 
And I think what the people of Sri Lanka are doing, they're doing that unification. Uh, it's a tough thing. I think you said that, right, Savim? It's, it's, not, it's not something that's easy, right? Because you have to go back to fundamentals. You can't sort of short circuit things. So I hope everyone takes advantage of that. Anyway, Savim, hang on one second. So uh, even though I'm going to end this, so be well um, and have a good evening or good night wherever you are. Thank you. Mm -hmm.